this evening, go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. During this month, I would like to minister a series of messages entitled Prayers That Change Those Who Pray Them. Prayers That Change Those Who Pray Them. And tonight, we'll be learning to pray. Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 28. It came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, John, and James and went up into a mountain to pray. <clears throat> As he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. <clears throat> Behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. It came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. There came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close, and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. You notice that last sentence of verse 28 again, they went up into a mountain to pray, learning to pray. Let's have a word of prayer again. Father, for a few moments, as we break the bread of life and look into the scriptures, speak to all of our hearts. There's no doubt that when we talk to you, great and wonderful things take place. So, Father, we pray you give us clarity, give us direction tonight. Let this evening's service be one that each of us will remember as we spend time in your presence. Jesus' name, amen, amen. Back in 1895, in the hills of Virginia, a young man in his 20s was in a Methodist church in a prayer meeting. Church was not a large church. While he was walking around in the inside of that tabernacle and just really pouring his heart out to God, he felt like the Lord spoke to him and told him, take your family and move to the west coast, to Portland, Oregon. And so that's what that young man did. The Lord had told him also that there would be a young couple that would come to pastor in that area that he was to support them. Well, he went, took his family to Oregon, never did find a church that he really felt he could hook up with. A lot of different pastors, different ministries, but he never, ever felt like a particular place was home. Fifty years passed, and a young couple came to Portland, Oregon, to pastor a little small Pentecostal church of God. The gentleman's name was Tommy Lee. The wife's name was Daisy. They were just 22 at the time. Well, after they'd been in that little church of 16 people for a while, this gentleman, who 50 years prior had moved there, he came to that service, and when he sat down in the congregation, God spoke to his heart and said, that's the couple that I want you to support and help. 
Well, of course, T.L. and Daisy Osborne went all around the earth preaching the gospel, holding massive salvation and healing crusades all around the world, even in places where folks said nothing would happen. Back in the 40s, late 40s, they went to Japan, and in that meeting, 44 deaf mutes were healed. At one meeting, preaching Christ, lives were changed. Well, all of that started for that man that they later called Daddy Johnson in a prayer meeting. Because he heard from God and the Lord spoke to his heart. Now, it's important for us to know that prayer is essential for the believer. Nothing shows your dependence on God like prayer. Nothing shows your independence from God like a lack of prayer. Prayer is to the Christian what air is to everyday human life. You stop breathing, you'll fall off that chair and you'll die. You stop praying and talking to God, you will backslide. There will come to an end to your walk with God. So in this particular passage this evening, when we think about Jesus and his prayer life, we want to be concerned to remember that when you read the Gospels and see the special teachings and see when he prayed for the sick or see when he walked on water or cast out devils, all of these things happen in between these prayer meetings. It says in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, rising a great while before day, Jesus went out into a solitary place and there he prayed. It says in Luke chapter 6 that Jesus went up and prayed all night in the mountain. This was a man that had a relationship with God. So here it tells us that after he had been involved with teaching his disciples about his impending death, the fact that he would be crucified, betrayed, and then raised from the dead, some eight days later, he takes Peter, John, and James and goes into a mountain. I don't know why he chose Peter, James, and John. He had 12 disciples. He could have took all of them, didn't have to take any of them, but he chose three. But there is this thing in the kingdom of God where God does grant certain experiences to some Christians that he doesn't permit to other Christians. It's a sovereign decision of God. I have no idea why some people have certain kinds of visions and other people don't have those visions at all. But these three were chosen to go with the Lord into a mountain. We want to think about the the energy that would have to be exerted. Move up the incline. Because prayer, even trying to get involved with prayer, is a very time-consuming thing. Flesh would rather do anything but pray. Flesh wants to sit in the lazy boy chair and watch the television. Flesh wants to go to a ball game and enjoy what's happening there at the ball game. But flesh does not want to take the time to pour that heart out before God, to stretch out on its face before God and humble itself so that God can communicate with that person. Well, that person can communicate with God. Some of us like long drives. But even when you're driving, you can talk to God. Even on your job, you can talk to God. The scripture says, pray without ceasing. So the objective was to pray. Jesus didn't say we're going up into the mountain to have a barbecue. We're not going up into the mountain to play a game. But the objective is to pray. And the first sentence in verse 29 then tells us as he prayed. That means from the the moment he had the objective until he realized the goal in verse 29, coming to prayer, 
He permitted no distractions in his life. The scenery didn't capture his attention. Now, I bring that up because a lot of us will we'll start the year off and we'll say, you know what? I, I've resolved that I'm going to pray more this year than I've ever prayed before. And I'm telling you, I realize your willpower is strong, but you need a little bit more than willpower. Because every year in the month of January, you always run into somebody who will say something like this. You know what? I, I've decided I'm going to quit smoking. And there are people that quit smoking 62 times in the month of January. Willpower is not the answer. See, there are people that are alcoholics and they, they will tell you, I'm giving up liquor. I am tired of what it makes me do and how it affects my family. I'm never going to touch that stuff again. And they resolve to do that 30 times in the month of January. So when we think of prayer, I want you to understand that this this shouldn't just be a resolution in your life. This should be a lifestyle to talk to God. A relationship demands communication. Jesus comes into the mountain. He has a relationship with his father. And as he prayed, he knew how to pray because he prayed often. Now, prayer is not about a formula. I don't want you to think you need to find some 17th century book with a bunch of Puritan prayers in it and start trying to pray those Puritan prayers. You don't need that at all. And I don't think you need to find somebody else's prayer that's been written down for you. Imagine, imagine if your kid, if, if they had a request of you as a mom or dad, and, and they went to somebody and they had somebody write down what they wanted, and then they came to you and, and then they pulled, they said, Mom, Dad, I got something I want to say, and then they pulled a piece of paper out and then they read it and they said, Would you be so kind to, uh, buy, uh, Toby a bicycle? Now, of course, mom and dad wouldn't be happy with that because they'd say, why in the world don't you just ask me yourself? Why in the world do you need somebody to write down a request for you? Well, that's how it is with a lot of people who are absolutely impressed with old prayers. They like to pray the prayers of the dead, but I'd rather pray the prayers of the living. Since I have a relationship with God, we enter into the presence of God and pray in accordance with his will. And the Apostle Paul gives us examples in his epistles of what we can pray, how we should pray. And then we see in the book of Acts the results that will come from the prayer. Well, notice in verse 29, as Jesus prayed, his prayer brought change to him. His countenance was altered. Okay, well... I think there's something true about the verse that says, in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I think when you have a relationship with God and when you pray and when you talk to God, there are times when, when, when that presence becomes so sweet, sometimes you just sit there and just smile in the presence of God. You may begin to laugh in the presence of God because the joy of the Lord overtakes you. But then you may be praying for somebody, interceding for someone. A spirit of grace and supplication comes over you. And before you know it, you find yourself weeping because you feel the pain, the burden somebody else is passing through. These are the kinds of prayers that change your countenance. So you have to enter in to pray like that. Jesus did. He didn't bother with what Peter, James, and John was doing. He was consumed with having 
that personal time with God, and I encourage you to have your own devotional time with God. Start the day with daily bread, fresh bread, manna. Don't wait to the end of the day. That may be your habit, but I'd encourage you to start the day early on. If you got to get up early, get up 15, 20 minutes earlier, spend a little time in prayer, meditate on the word of God. Get your mind in tune with God so that throughout the day you have scripture to call to remembrance when you're passing through different things. You get to the end of the day, you've already exhausted your energy. Sometimes your mind is tired. You pull that Bible out and go to read six minutes later. You're gone. They say the aircraft has taken off. You can hear the snoring. Well, in verse 30 then, you can see what occurs. Now, I'm certain that when we enter into pray and talk to God, it helps all of us. Let's let's not forget I think I told you some time ago, a friend of mine was holding a revival down in North Carolina. And he said he was in a little church there, went down in the basement. said when he came down the stairs, there was a little room there. And it looked like it might have been a closet or something. But he said every time he walked past that room, he just felt something like a holy presence. He's not a real mystical guy or a spooky guy, but he just said he just felt something every time he came downstairs. So he went up and he talked to the pastor and uh, he said to him, he said, I, I just came from down in that basement. He said, what's what's the deal? What's the history of the story of the church? He said, well, you don't know who used to pastor this church? He said, no. He said, well, many decades ago. Said a young man, young woman came pastor this church. It was their very first church. Said that young man wanted to see a revival in this church. He wanted to see a move of God. So he said to his wife, he said, honey, if I don't get through to God, we're not going to have anything take place around here. So he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, that little room down in the basement, he said, I'm going to go into that room and I'm going to fast and I'm not coming out of that room. I'll tell you, let you know when I'm coming out. He said, you come down and on that shelf outside the door, you put a jar of water. He said, you put a jar of water there in the morning. And he said, you come back later in the evening. You change that water. He said, I'm staying in there. I'll come out just to drink that water, head to the restroom, back in there to pray. That's what he did. Sought God power of God. They had revival in that church. That was Oral Roberts and Evelyn, their first church. Later in life, decades later, Oral had become popular, famous on television, preaching, tent started. Uh, the Oral Roberts University had a very plush, cushy lifestyle. Well, the gentleman that used to be his tent master and would travel all around America before he got there and set that big, huge tent up that seated thousands and thousands of people, like 10,000 people or so. He, he was now dying with cancer in a hospital in Tulsa. And so somebody called him and said, uh, Oral, so-and-so's in the hospital. Do you think you can go by and pray for him? And Oral said to him, well, I don't know if I have the time. He said, you know, when I go out in public, you know, people are always around me. They're giving me all kinds of difficulties and stuff like that. He said, I don't think I had time. He said, Oral, the man was your tent master. You can make time to go to the hospital to see this gentleman. 
Oral said, I'll do what I can. Well, one evening, Oral slipped in there after visiting hours, about 9, 9.30 at night. He walked down that hallway, opened up that door, slipped into that room, saw his friend, had that cancer in his body stretched out on that bed. He's unconscious. Or Robert walks over to where he is, lays his hands on him, and just simply prays, Oh, Father, heal my dear brother, laying here in this bed. Then he turned and walked away, and when he started out that door, the gentleman that had called him, seated in that, that corner in the chair, and he said, No, Oral. He said, I asked you to come down here and pray for him. He's dying in that bed with cancer. He said, Why don't you pray like you used to pray when you were a young man? When you believed God, when you were expecting God to do something, Oral started crying, fell down on that floor, was laying up under that gurney, repenting, just asking God to heal that brother and to forgive him of how he had forsook his prayer life. And the tent master laying in that gurney, he woke up and rolled over and said, Oral, what are you doing down there? God had healed that man of his cancer. Oral prayed a prayer that changed him. You see, it is not enough for us to pray and ask God to change somebody else, but to ask God to change us. See, that's where it begins. Jesus prayed in that mountain, and according to verse 30, it opened up the door to another world. Moses and Elijah came and talked with him. They had some idea about the death that he would accomplish at Jerusalem, which lets us know in heaven, some of those great saints and witnesses have some information regarding the future. Elijah, Moses, both came from heaven. I don't want you under the impression that Moses went to some kind of special holding site or purgatory and he was down there and Elijah carried by a chariot of fire went to heaven. And so when Jesus was on the mountain, that one descended from heaven and the other ascended from out of the earth. No, they both were in glory in the presence of God. And here they are now with the king of kings on the top of this mountain. And this man has prayed to the point that a vision has broken forth. Think of that. Jesus came to Saul on the road to Damascus. And the Bible says he appeared to him in a vision. Later, Ananias was praying. And in a vision, the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to go lay hands on Saul. Let's not forget Peter was on a rooftop in Acts chapter 10. He was praying and he saw a sheet let down from heaven. Vision. Then let's not forget Paul in prayer. The Lord Jesus appeared to him, stood by him and said, we've got a lot of folks around here in this city. You don't have to worry about it at all. All I'm trying to show you is that in scripture, there's a definite connection in many places between prayer and visions. You have no idea what you will ever hear or see. Till you pray. Anybody can be silent and say, well, I don't know what to say. You've got to start somewhere. Even toddlers start somewhere. You begin with a conversation with God. You grow in grace and in knowledge. I know how to pray a whole lot better than I did when I first gave my heart to the Lord as a teenager. And I'd like to believe I know a whole lot more about prayer 10 years from now than what I know right now. 
just from taking the time to read the scripture and hearing what the Lord has said. But it's interesting to me that verse 32 tells us that while Jesus was having this wonderful moment with God, Peter, James, and John were sleeping. Isn't that something? God can be doing something with you and then the person right next to you not, not get anything. Not get anything. You can be in a service and, and it's wonderful and the presence of God is real. And then the person next to you said, well, I didn't get anything at all out of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, goodness, if that don't make your horn beep, you ought to get your horn fixed. Man, really? You know? Wow. So, so Peter here, he's sleeping. Jesus is in the presence of God. And the Bible says when they opened their eyes, they saw the glory of the Lord and they saw the two men that stood with them. Had they not been with Christ, they would have never had this experience. So there's just some things that will never happen in your life unless you're Christian, unless you know God. Sinners don't have prayer meetings. And if you don't believe me, think about what your life was like when you were living in sin. Did you ever get together with some of the guys at the saloon and say, you know what, we we have such a good time, fellas. Why are we going to have a prayer meeting? <laughs> probably not. No. And, and you probably didn't get together with a bunch of them and say, you know what, this is so wonderful and I feel so good. Why don't we, why don't we sing a few songs to the Lord right now? Doesn't happen. But when you climb up on that mountaintop, and you enter into that place of prayer, this is where God begins to reveal himself. And I've told this a hundred times to young people when they're trying to figure out the will of God for their life. I say, what do you feel when you're in the mountaintop? When you're in that place where you're praying and you're seeking the face of God, it's there that you can see yourself preaching the gospel. It's in that place you can see yourself witnessing to people. You can see yourself as a doctor. You can see all kinds of things when you're in that place of prayer because faith rises up and the spirit of the Lord helps you to see things. But once you rise up off of the mountain, get out of the cloud, very often all of that disappears and that's when doubt comes. So I tell people, order your steps according to what God is showing you in the mountain. See, That's where faith is. That's where the reality of the Holy Ghost is. And if you do that, you'll find that you won't be like many people who start projects and things and don't complete them. But God will help you to be a finisher. Because the Bible says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. So we got six people on a mountain. Three of them are sleeping. Two of them have come from glory, so they can't fall asleep. And then we've got the king of kings who's talking with all of them. And according to verse 34, then we have another voice. It's going to enter into all of this and tell us this is my son. Listen to him. Now, I will say this, you know, when, when God's doing stuff and, and the move of God is taking place and good things are happening in our home and we see what God's doing in our marriage or in the church, that it usually that's when we start saying stuff that sometimes kind of goofy. That, that, that's where Peter and, and, and them, they wake up and they look around and suddenly they see they're in the glory cloud and the presence is feeling good. And they look up and they say, oh, my goodness, Jesus, we need to build three churches up here on this mountain right now. Three churches. 
Well, the Lord had to let them know it's not three churches that we need. Just need to worship him. It's not another tabernacle. It's not another tent. It's not another booth that is needed. What is needed for you to keep your eyes open with what's taking place. And there are millions of people that sleep through revival. God has done great things in this nation and brought many different moves of the spirit to this country. And most churches have slept through it. So you go back to the 20s and the 30s. The Bosworth brothers. You had people like Marie Woodworth Eder, Amy Simple McPherson, first woman to ever have her own gospel radio station built during the Depression. This lady had a move of God, as did all of the others that I named. But eventually they died. But just because they die, the spirit of God doesn't die. You still had Charles S. Price, Smith Wigglesworth. And a host of others that were in this nation preaching Christ and going to the world. And then when they passed away, then you had William Branham and more than 120 people in the Voice of Healing movement that were traveling and circling this nation and the world with tents. And they were preaching the gospel and lives were changed. I mean, even when Billy Graham was out in California for something like four months or so preaching under the tent, that was still right in the middle of the voice of healing movement when great things were taking place. Somebody asked Billy Graham one time, said, do you believe in healing? If a man didn't have a hand, do you believe God could heal that man so he'd have a hand? I love what Billy Graham said. Billy Graham said, A man that doesn't have a hand, he said, there's DNA in that body. And when he was in that womb, the DNA instructed that body how to put that hand on that wrist. And he said it developed and formed from that DNA. And he said, even if somebody doesn't have a hand today, he said that same DNA is still in that body, just waiting for a voice greater than it to tell it to put it back on there. That's pretty good for a Baptist. That's Billy Graham. See, that's pretty good. Okay. Well, at the same time, they had the voice of healing movement. They had the latter rain movement. So you had a number of people from Canada and places around here who were preaching the gospel and learning how to minister God's word to people to give people direction for their lives. Thousands of people were blessed because of that. And on the heels of that came the charismatic renewal. I don't know how many places I've gone and preached where I've met people who somehow or another came to know Christ in the 60s or 70s during the Jesus movement. Back when Chuck Smith out in California would have 6,000 people out there in the ocean and he and his preachers would be baptizing them. Can you imagine 6,000 people being baptized? Think of that. So when we think about prayer, I want you to remember your expectation level for 2019 should be greater than it's ever been. Yeah. You can think small, but the Bible says God can do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think. 
That means the biggest thought you can conceive when you're thinking about the plans and purposes of God. God can do more than that. I think all of us, when we were little kids, we probably looked up there in the sky and thought, wouldn't it be something to be on the moon, to be amongst the stars? But a century ago, somebody else thought like that. But then finally, some little kid who thought like that grew up into a man or a woman, and they decided, I believe we can make the kind of material that will get us up there. Yeah. I think Dr. Hilton Sutton, years ago when he was here ministering, he was telling us how in Luke 24, when it talks about signs and wonders in the heavens, one of the things he was talking about, the great signs of the last day, is how God made it possible for people here in planet Earth to move right on up there amongst the stars in God's backyard or his front yard and have stuff orbiting these different planets. Here we are, folks. Here we are, 2019, hungry for God, wanting more of God than we've ever had before this evening. Let's just take a few moments. Just talk to God. Now I'm going to be up here stretched out on my face talking to the king. Don't bother me. And while you're back there talking to the Lord, whether you're kneeling or sitting or walking, I'm not going to bother you. But let's just have this time. Well, just for a few moments. It's just you and God. Me and God. With him, we don't have to worry about trying to boast or brag. He's not impressed by what kind of car we drive, how we dress, where we live, how we live. The only thing God wants is a relationship with you. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we'll 